You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Kentucky podcast. We bring you info and insights on UK football and basketball every weekday. Stay informed by making us part of your morning or afternoon commute and listen and follow for free on Apple or Google Podcasts. Simply subscribe to Locked On Kentucky. I'm Dan Rafer with Fox 56 along with Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. And if you listen to Locked On Kentucky on a regular basis, you're going to get things, info on the cats that you just won't get anywhere else. First and foremost, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Kyle. Happy Thanksgiving to you. As we record this on uh, late on Wednesday night, I got uh, got a bunch of dishes all concocted and in the fridge, ready to slide into the oven tomorrow. This is a this is as exciting of a night to me as Christmas Eve because I actually think I actually think th- Thanksgiving is sli- is a slightly better holiday. Um, I yes I uh, I think I like Thanksgiving better. Than Christmas, but I mean, with my kids, I do um, really enjoy seeing them get things they want. But um, gosh, this year it's it's so hard. The things they want, it's like, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think that's gonna happen for you, bud. Like one of them's a dirt bike. We live in a suburb. I mean, we live on a city street. Um, you're not riding a dirt bike. You're gonna ride a motorized vehicle up and down the street. <laughs> I, that, that ain't happening, Jack. I mean, maybe if we lived out in the county somewhere. I mean, I grew up in a, a rural area, and so that was commonplace where I'm from, uh, and it would be different if that was the case, but we don't have just a big wide open field for you to tear through. Uh, even if we did, my wife and her reservations about broken bones and whatnot, so, which leads yeah. us right into broken bones on the U.K. basketball team, and that is... Nate Sestina's injury to his left wrist, Calipari said he was just kind of bracing himself for a fall, and and he fractured his left wrist. Now, my wife, she did the same thing. She was working out, and she uh, she was doing, like, resistant bands on her feet and got tripped up and went to catch herself and broke a wrist. And I can tell you it was not maybe three or four weeks, like Calipari says. So that's that's the good news. That's the plus is three or four weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it got uh, disseminated in a couple places. I think early this morning, uh, with the idea that it might be months that he was out. Uh, I don't think that is going to be the case. I've talked to several pl- people uh, close to the program and close to Nate, and um, I've heard as optimistic of estimate estimate as two weeks. And Cal actually even dropped that today in the press conference. He said, you know, could be three, could be four. Hope it's on the shorter side. And they, he didn't say who they were, but he said they even told me it could be two, and I said stop it. But um, yeah, that the, one of the first pieces of feedback I got in checking in with people that would know was uh, two to three weeks. So, um, so why is it that short of time? Like, what? Is it just well, a for hairline I mean, fracture, or? I guess I, I don't have the the medical specifics, but right. uh, um, you know, one thing it helps that it's is non shooting hand, so. Uh, yeah. If this was in his shooting wrist, there's no way he's. I mean, even if he's a, a ba- able to play again in you know within the month, you would think it would really affect his shooting. Um, but it's in his left his left wrist. That's a big deal. Um, and so that, I guess that's part of it, you know. And then the other part of it, I don't I don't know how all the medical 
uh, part of that stuff works. But you know, like like Tua at, at Alabama, yeah. he's had two different procedures where he had you know, badly sprained ankles, uh, and they, um, which is essentially a ligament tear. You know, when you sprain an ankle, uh, and they have a procedure now where they can go in with like a pin and and a, screw your ankle back together, basically tighten everything yeah. up, uh, and it helps you heal from something that would take you know, eight weeks, two months, uh, to come back from, you can come back in, in, you know, two or three weeks and he's done that twice. So, you know, with (laughs) medical advancements and especially in sports medicine where these guys have access to stuff that maybe some of us don't, uh, I think they can get stuff done pretty quick. Yeah. Um, another interesting comment from Calipari is that Dante Allen played some in the half court. He said, played a little bit of half court. He didn't move great, but, uh, that's encouraging to hear, uh, that he's he's getting closer because uh, you know th- they need him for practice at, at the very least. Yeah, that could be you know the timing on that could be really good uh, for him and for Kentucky as you lose one to get another back. Um, you know the crazy the, the 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 big takeaway is you know I think this is not going to be this is not like a season you know a season threatening injury. Um, one, because they have a couple of other options, but two, because he's going to be back, uh, in relatively short order, I would guess he'll be back at the beginning of conference play into the first week of January. Um, if not sooner, um, but, but the, in the sort of the 30,000 foot view is like, how, what is going on with these injuries? Um, this is the eighth different guy that in one form or fashion has dealt with an injury. Now that counts. Dante Allen, who tore his ACL in high, his senior year of high school, and uh, Zan Payne, um, or Zan Payne, I guess. Um, yeah, Zan Payne actually did this two, two years ago. ago. Yeah, yeah, and he's still not back, which is not super encouraging. Um, but then, you know, you've had Nick rolled an ankle, missed about a week of time, and uh, missed an exhibition game, and, you know, played didn't start and played a little bit of limited minutes in that Michigan State game. You had Ashton Hagen's. Uh, didn't miss time, but had missed practice time, uh, didn't miss any games, and was a little bit limited uh, by a leg injury for a couple weeks. Uh, you had EJ roll an ankle and miss three games. You had Emmanuel quickly get take a shot in the chest and miss a game. Uh, and then Khalil Whitney dislocated his pinky. He told me today it looked like an L, the way it was bent sideways before mm. he snapped it back in. Mm, um, mm, mm, mm. I mean, they've, they've had a, and now Nate breaks his wrist. So they have had a, a pretty crazy run. And it, it, the, the only real major effect is, and it's a bit, it is a big one is that they just haven't had continuity. You know, they haven't had all their guys together all year, really, really at all. Just, you know, a week where they had basically a week where they got finally got everybody healthy and then Nate got hurt. So, um, you know, how does that affect them in the long term? You know, does this stunt their development a little bit? I don't know. Um, but in this, you know, with this specific injury with Nate, I don't think it's all bad in, in, because I think it may open up some opportunity for some other guys and make Calipari play a different way that I think could be advantageous for them. By the way, on Zan Payne's situation, uh, one of the biggest reasons he said he walked on at Kentucky was – for the medical attention and rehab that would be available to him at Kentucky uh, versus going somewhere else. Yeah. Because they, they have top notch, um, you know, medical staff and rehab and all that stuff that it, that would help him um, 
heal better. So it's very uh, strange that that it's taken him this long. Maybe he's you know done further damage to it. We don't really inquire too much about Zan because we don't expect him to play much. But you bring up the point about yeah forcing Calipari to play a different way. So he mentions that one of the things he did years ago with UMass is he would split the team in half and essentially take a first team and he would coach that and then have a second team and the assistant coach would coach that. And he said he did that uh, with this group, with his team uh, today or Wednesday in practice. And he mentioned that it was uh, three guards, Khalil Whitney at the four, and one big. And the one big would be, obviously, Nick Richards or E.J. Montgomery. And he said, uh, you know, it didn't look too bad. Yeah, yeah. And Ashton Hagens talked about that. You, you know, Hagens, Whitney, I'm sorry, Hagens, Maxie, and quickly all together in the backcourt, Whitney at the four. And I, he he mentioned E.J. being the guy at, five, at the five. And that's a really athletic group that can get out and run and, and that's one of the reasons Hagen said he liked it you know they could get out and play a different way um I love that you know I've always I've said before anybody got hurt I thought the three guard lineup was probably their best option um and you know when you're limited in in true big men you know pick the one that's playing the best at the given time put him out there and then and mix and match you've got a you've got some options on the wing guys that are versatile like Khalil and Keon Brooks um so that, I, I think how that develops, and we can talk a little bit more about that in the, the second segment, but how that develops to me um, could be a huge part of the season, you know, because, because Nate is coming back. I mean, he's not right. lost forever, but if you can, in this month or whatever amount of time it is, if you can sharpen some of those guys and you can figure out, okay, we have, you know, Golden State, the Warriors, when they were at their peak, they called it their death lineup. It was kind of a smaller lineup, um, and they just wore teams out with it. You know, if you can if you can, kind of sharpen up your death lineup, uh, and then you get Nate back, and, you, you know, for certain matchups you need him to do whatever uh, he can give you, um, I think that's all to the good. You know, you hate to lose Nate for however long he's gone, but I, I think some positive stuff can come out of it. Yeah, a lot more to discuss on UK basketball. Um, John Calipari talked a lot about his son, Brad. Uh, uh, some interesting stuff for him there. And uh, did he really know, did not know, did he really not know that Duke lost? Well, we'll talk about that as well. And then in our third segment, uh, we're going to discuss unpopular Thanksgiving food takes. So we'll do all that on the Locked On Kentucky podcast when we continue. At Buffalo Trace Distillery, the world's most award-winning distillery, see 200 years of bourbon-making history in action. Smell the mash cooking. Touch the charred oak barrels aging in century-old warehouses. Hear the tales of bourbon legends Taylor, Blanton, Weller, and Lee. And taste award-winning spirits at America's oldest continually operating distillery. Experience a tour for every taste. Buffalo Trace Distillery offers six unique complimentary tours seven days a week year-round, like the popular Trace Tour, or see Bourbon Pompeii and walk through history on the E.H. Taylor Tour. Visit the world's bourbon destination, Buffalo Trace Distillery. To learn more about the distillery's history and spirits, visit buffalotracedistillery.com. Mention that you heard about Buffalo Trace Distillery on the Locked on Kentucky podcast and get 10% off merchandise at the gift shop. You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. 
All right, Kyle, definitely more to discuss with the uh, Kentucky Wildcats basketball team with Calipari just, uh, oh my gosh, he just unloaded with all kinds of great stuff. Um, the, the smaller lineup um, is, that, that we were talking about uh, before in the previous uh, ep, uh, segment, um, you know, I, I, I wonder if, if that's going to lead to, like if they mention, you know, if Ashton says, you know, it's EJ in there, I, I just wonder if that will, we'll see where Nick Richards' minutes go down because he is, he's way up there in minutes and Calipari keeps saying uh, he's going about four to six to eight minutes too long. And when he does that, he just loses focus. And uh, I mean, what do you expect to see in that UAB game as far as that goes? Yeah, I mean, it feels like to me the ideal split is, you know, he and EJ, especially while Nate's out, he and EJ both play, you know, 25 to 27 minutes. Uh, yeah. You know, and they both play the five at some times. They're obviously going to play together in some lineups. Just just because Cal's experimenting with three guards and, and Whitney with one big man, that's not going to be the, you know, necessarily the lion's share of the, the way they play, I think there's still gonna be a ton of time where they're both out there together. Um, and then, you know, they divvy up the rest of those minutes with, uh, with Brooks and with, uh, Whitney. Um, can they, will they be able to, to steal enough, you know, while Nate's not available to, to get Nick's minutes down? I don't know. Uh, but I think ideally if he's playing 25 to 27 minutes a game and, you know, 30, if he's really feeling it, um, they're, I think that's perfect because he, he does seem like he's um, sometimes he does power down in those last few minutes of a, of a game. And you don't, you don't want that. They've got to, even if his minutes don't go down, they probably got to find a way to manage them in a way that uh, he's, he's getting a rest for a couple minutes before the, the finishing kick. Um, but the one, you know, the one silver lining in what's happened is Nick is Nick has at least emerged and said, okay, I'm a guy you can count on in the paint. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think had he not, had he not done that already and then Nate goes down, then everybody's panicking because EJ, <laughs> EJ's just been okay. Yeah. Um, but as it stands, um, you know, they, they, they know they have the, what they have in Nick. And now as kind of what I wrote for the athletic today is now, in, if in this month or whatever, it's going to be uh, of Nate's absence, if they can, from the group of EJ, uh, Khalil and Keon, if they can find one more guy that they can reliably count on to give them some positive stuff in the post, um, they're fine. Because then they've they've added they've added what will eventually be the third guy because Nate will come back and you know he you know he's got limitations but you know what he does well also that you can count on. Um, Khalil is really interesting to me and I talked to him a fair amount today and Cal talked about him. Uh, when in the preseason, we already knew before anybody got hurt that they had a, a narrow margin for error in the front court with only three scholarship big men. And uh, I talked, I asked Cal in a preseason roundtable, if you go small, which of those wings are you, do you think is most likely to play the four? And it, back then he said uh, Keon Brooks. And he was pretty definitive about that, that it would be Keon Brooks. And it mostly has been. Um but today he talked, and increasingly he's having Khalil place the four some. And today he talked about, I said, you know, it seems like you've shifted. You know, now Khalil is the guy. And he said, yes, and let me tell you why. And he said, you know, he's more physical. You look at their body types. Uh, Keon's an inch taller, but he's lanky. 
Uh, Khalil is a, a muscled up guy, kind of a freak physical specimen. He's got a, a little bit of an Alex Poitras type body. Um, and so he said, look, if we run into a team that's got a, you know, six, six fire hydrant at power forward, he can yeah. actually hold up against that. Um, and the other piece of that is, you know, look at where Nate was getting exposed a little bit when they're playing smaller teams, you know, in both in their status and in their stature, then you've got four guards or you've got smaller forwards, uh, pulling Nate away from the basket and then driving him, you know, so they spread the floor and then drive him, and, and he was giving up a lot of buckets that way. Khalil is equipped to defend on the perimeter. So if they've got, if they, if the other team's playing four guards, he's equipped to go out there and defend, uh, that guy, and he's he's physically built enough that if it's more of a traditional forward, he can go in there and bang a little bit. And he's got this the crazy vertical, so he can jump and rebound, block shots. He he had that shot block shot in the last game where he he volleyball spiked it off the backboard. Yeah. Um, and he said, you know, most four men are bigger than me, but slower than me, so it's a mismatch. Uh, and Cal said, I don't know many four men that can guard Khalil. Right. Um, so he, to me, he's like the EJ. A lot of they're all, all eyes will be on EJ probably. But to me, Khalil is sort of the 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 most interesting figure of this, you know, Nate injury. And then offensively, Calipari said that he Whitney shoots it straight, and and because of that, he thinks uh, his prediction is that in one of these upcoming games, you're going to see Whitney, um, you know, go like eight for eight or something, um, and and. And do something really good offensively. Uh, so uh, he said something else he said was that uh, they did stuff in practice where they, they drew stuff up to play through different guys. And uh, he's basically saying, uh, so if you, if you screw it up, uh, you need to own it. Um, you, it's, you can't complain uh, that we're not giving you a chance here because we're, we're going to go to you in different situations. And, and if you don't come through, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, he said he's you know he's already started to challenge some other guys with Nate out like this is your time. Uh, yeah. You know, he said there's the old you know thing that people say if I if you were just playing me more if you were just letting me shoot more, you know I'd be playing better. Uh, and for some of those guys now, he said okay, you're playing more, you're shooting more. What's your excuse now? Um, and right. he's obviously going to hold them you know try to challenge them and hold them accountable. Um, because they're now the margin for error is very thin again. You know, if, yeah. they, if one guy doesn't show up, if EJ just no shows one night, uh, or Nick gets in foul trouble in two minutes, now it's a, a real problem for them. And, and I think he's gonna, um, or Khalil goes one for eight. <laughs> That's a real problem for them. So he's gonna, yeah. uh, I think, push them a little bit. I did think that was really interesting about Khalil shooting. Um, yeah. I, I don't think of Khalil as, as a particularly a marksman and it doesn't always look beautiful, but I, 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 his analysis that he always shoots it straight, that there's not a lot of variance in it. Um, and Cal, Cal above all else wants to see a guy shoot it straight. Um, I thought that was really interesting. I, I, I would not have put my, uh, self out there and said, I predict he's going to go eight for eight from the field sometime soon. Um, <laughs> uh, but if he yeah. does, Cal will be certainly remind us with an, I told you so. Well, and uh, Calipari talked a lot about his son, Brad. We'll talk about that in this next segment. And then also we'll give our uh, unpopular uh, Thanksgiving food takes uh, when Locked on Kentucky continues. 
This is Locked On Kentucky, your team every day. Okay, well, Thanksgiving's all about uh, family and all about food. And uh, Calipari said he's got, uh, he's kind of like starting a little bit of Camp Cal kind of early in a way. He even made the comment that he was hoping that he could get the president to shut down the university uh, next week so he can do two a days, but they got class and that, that gets in the way. But um, he says they they eat at his house and they sleep at his house and then they go back to practice. And uh, he's going to take the team to Salvation Army, which he's done many years, to serve Thanksgiving meals to the less fortunate uh, to to remind his players, as he does uh, in many ways, uh, just how fortunate uh, they are. But, you know, as far as Brad goes, he it, it just comes up every time we talk. You know, the media meets with Calipari. Every every time it, it, it comes up the, somewhere in there about Brad, and he said uh, him and Ellen watching Brad almost gives it – he indicated he didn't come right out and say it, but it just – it gave him almost a better understanding of what his players' parents – uh, go through and what other people are saying to his players. And um, I thought that was interesting too. I know he's said it before. He always talks about blocking out the noise, but uh, he sees it a little differently now that he's watching Brad and, and hearing Ellen uh, bitch and moan about Brad not getting <laughs> enough run or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He's um, he is uh, like a, a very, very proud Papa. Uh, yes. You know, yes. like, I asked him a question about something else um, the other day and in the press conference, and he just like didn't even attempt to answer it. He just went on a rant about how you know how great uh, Brad is playing, and then today, <laughs> and then today he kind of got off on a tangent and was, um, you know, we we had talked about how Brad was on a heater. He had made eight of fifteen threes in the previous two games, twenty nine total points in those two games. Um, then the mo- most recent game, he only got two shots off. He was one of two from three. So he's still over 50% uh, from three in the last three games. Uh, but only only two shot attempts. And Cal basically said the other team was um, scheming to keep him from getting the ball. They were just, yeah. you know, uh, designing their defense around stopping Brad. And the the cool part about that was seeing how, you, how clearly proud and kind of giddy Cal was that, like, and almost in disbelief, uh, like he said, he's telling Ellen, like, look, look what they're doing. Like they're, they're, they're trying to, they're trying to keep it from him. He's played so well. Uh, and so that made him obviously very proud. Uh, and then he talked about all the things he told Brad about how he was going to have to get his shot now and ball fake and all that stuff. And he said, so right. I'm coaching both teams. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, he, he's very proud and I think that's cool. Uh, I cannot imagine what it would be like to have my son playing college basketball, and especially just it's a unique situation for for Calipari and his kid because you know Brad was this little you know doughy kid right. when when Cal showed up here who didn't look anything like an athlete. Um, you know he's not very tall; he's probably five eight, five nine. I think they list him as six feet uh, on the Detroit <laughs> Mercy roster. I, there's no chance he's right. six feet tall, um, but he. He got himself in incredible shape. He got lost a yeah, ton of weight. Yeah, he changed his body for it, sure. He he worked like crazy on that. Cal said he's on today that he's on a vegan diet and and just talked about all the ways he's more disciplined than Cal ever was at back then or or now. Um, yeah, Cal said he could do a vegan diet for part a of a day, <laughs> not a day, a part of a day, but yeah. not breakfast because he needs meat for breakfast. So maybe in the <laughs> afternoon, um, but. You know, and then Brad just tried to find a skill that would translate. He obviously knows he's not a freak athlete and he's not big, 
Um, and so you would, he'd always be posting on social media, he'd be in the gym at the craft center all hours of the night, yeah. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shots up. And he turned it, he just by, I think sheer force of will, you can roll your eyes at the earn not given tattoo across his chest. Um, I think we all know there, that's a little far fetched. Um, that's the son of a millionaire and hall of fame coach. Uh, a few things were given to him, but he went and gave, he went and created a, a, a marketable skill for himself and he became a legitimate shooter. Um, yeah. and so I think that must be, you know, I, I think for most of his life, Calipari probably assumed Brad didn't have much of a basketball future and right. to see him be able to play division one college basketball and succeed at it is I I'm sure is incredibly uh, rewarding for him. So yeah, because Cal even said, uh, "Why don't you look at a couple D two schools?" Yeah. Like, nope. Nope. I want to go D one, Dad. So, I I do give Brad a lot. Obviously, Brad wouldn't have been at UK had you know John Calipari not been there. But I do give uh, Brad definitely a lot of credit to be able to see what it takes uh, to play at an elite level and what those guys have to go through to get themselves to be. Um, because, you know, talent is one thing, but then you do have to put in that work. And Calipari even alluded to it. He's like, you know, some guys it takes two years. Some guys, you know, everybody's got their path. But, hey, I tell you what, Tyler Hero, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Brandon Knight, those guys work so hard that they willed themselves into the NBA draft after one year. I mean, that didn't just happen because they're talented. Um, and that's what Brad did. He he put in the work. He saw what it, what it took, and he did it. And so – Good for him, good for uh, Calipari. But now, before we run out of time, we got to get to our unpopular Thanksgiving food takes. You put one of yours on Twitter, and I did as well. Mine was sweet potato anything can go right in the trash for me. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't hate that, but, but you like pumpkin, right? I do like, I love pumpkin pie, yes. And okay. people say pumpkin or pecan, I say both. Yes, yes. So I would be curious to let you try my mom's sweet potato casserole because it's like candy. She puts uh, uh, brown sugar and uh, walnuts uh, uh, on top of it. And yeah. I think it's what, I mean, I don't, I'm not a big sweet potato guy, but uh, it, I think it's one of the best things ever. Uh, in general, I'm not a big sweet potato guy. Um, well, even then, see, there's so many other things on the table. I, I have to, you know, manage that i have to manage my yeah. stomach and the area inside my stomach and sweet potatoes are not they're just not gonna make it in they just <laughs> i would rather get a second helping of mashed potatoes or more turkey or yeah you know or or more stuffing which you you dislike yeah my unpopular i don't know if i said i don't even know if it's unpopular but mine is just that the stuffing goes in the bird Otherwise, it's dressing, and stuffing is trash, and dressing is where it's at. And my mom slash grandmother passed down from my grandmother's recipe, which I had I prepared tonight, a gluten-free version of it for my wife um, to put in the oven tomorrow. It it is this like maybe my single favorite food ever. Um, so, yes, it's so. So I mean, what is what is how is dressing made? What is that? I, I don't know that the ingredients are super different. Uh, it's just I think the the distinction is one is in the bird, one is not. I think it gets drier in the bird. Uh, one thing I like about this is it's a this recipe of my grandmother's is super uh, like this is a gross word, but moist. <laughs> well, it <laughs> has to be. People... I don't if it's not, I don't like it. Yeah, so it like hers is prepared. It's like a, um, 
a Pepperidge Farm or gluten-free version is like a Trader Joe's has like a version of Pepperidge Farms, like stuffing mix, the seasoned kind of bread mm-hmm. yeah. uh, cubes. And then you bake some uh, you bake some cornbread and you crumble up the cornbread and you mix that in with the, the seasoned stuffing mix. And then it's uh, sour cream, uh, butter, uh, onions, and um, cream of celery soup. Uh, yeah. and that's all mixed up and spread out. And then you boil, um, uh, chicken broth and pour the chicken broth over top before you put it in the oven. And so that like seeps down in it right. as it cooks. And it's, there you go. That, that, it's amazing. I'm telling you, that's where it's at. That is the dish of all Thanksgiving. Well, for me, the stuffing, what makes it is when you cook the turkey neck and the giblets and you cut that stuff up and incorporate it into that and you throw in some celery and onion and pop it in there into the bird and then and, and then it comes out and it's nice and, and moist and then you throw some gravy on it. I'm all about that. I'd, so, I'd so be willing to give that a try. I'd be willing to give that a try. So is that your favorite then? Is the dressing your favorite? That, yeah, that it really is. is I, I don't I don't even really like turkey. I prefer I actually prefer ham on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean I'll get a little both because I feel like it's important to have the turkey. But uh, <laughs> right. cro- like crockpot mac and cheese, my mother-in-law's recipe is really, yeah. really good. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong there. I um, am a big broccoli cheese casserole fan. We don't I usually that have that stuff. at my at Thanksgiving at my folks' house, but it's really good. I I, I like almost any broccoli and cheese casserole. Yeah. All right, and then I mean the the appetizers. We, I mean we we have we have appetizers ahead of time. You know while we're while we're waiting for the rest and. To me, it's um, it's sausage balls. Oh um, my gosh, I can't believe I didn't even mention that. Yes, my yeah. other grandmother—that's her sausage ball recipe. That's probably this in my tied for first or definitely top two uh, favorite food I- single food items with the dressing. My granny dots sausage balls. That is, mm-hmm. you make it with smoky country sausage too. Oh my gosh, dude! It, yes. It, Yes. Yeah, that's where it's at. I, you really jarred a memory for me that I cannot believe I had. <laughs> These last few years, we haven't actually been able to make it back to my grand, my, that other grandmother's Thanksgiving, so I hadn't had them in a while. But sausage balls, a few people out there haven't ever had a sausage ball, uh, you're missing it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult for me not to wind up getting stuffed on sausage balls and deviled eggs before we actually have the meal. i got to watch that. Yeah, make sure deviled eggs. A good that. deviled eggs is really good. A bad deviled egg is about the grossest thing on earth. No, a, a yeah, runny, a runny yeah. deviled egg. <laughs> oh my god! No. The Thank weir- God my wife is really good at it. She's made the best that, that I've ever had. The weird, so. the weird aunt that has the runny deviled eggs is is not oh, not good. Not good at all. All right, folks. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to every one of you. I hope it's a, it's a wonderful day of family and that you don't uh, wind up fighting over politics all day long and uh, that it's just uh, a good day for you. And then tomorrow, uh, Black Friday, uh, we'll talk Governor's Cup. We didn't talk about Governor's Cup, the UK-Louisville football game. We'll definitely talk uh, much more about that on Friday's episode. So thanks for tuning in uh, to Locked On Kentucky. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at D-R-I-E-F-F-E-R. And Kyle is at Kyle Tucker underscore A-T-H. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. You are Locked On Kentucky. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcast Locked On. Don't worry. I won't finish. You get the idea. <laughs>